Hello and welcome to session 27 of This Should Work, an interview with Jonathan Tomek. Jonathan is the CEO of MadX LLC, a cybersecurity company, and the co-founder and organizer of ThoughtCon, Chicago's biggest and oldest, maybe, hacker conference. In this episode, Jonathan and I talk about a lot of wide-ranging topics from homesteading to hacking. And so without further ado, let's jump into session 27. Wonderful. Okay. So we're here with John to- Jonathan Tomek, the CEO of MadX LLC, uh, organizer and co-founder of ThoughtCon, and a former Marine where he still volunteers in the Marine Corps Cyber Auxiliary. Jonathan, did I get that all right? And how are you doing today? Yes, you got that all right, Jay. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Oh, thanks for having me. So, so we're interviewing you right now, and you've got your your server rack you were just describing <laughs> behind you uh, that runs your entire company. We're going to get into talking um, about all of that. Should also tell you that in about a week, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Rob Rarig and Rudy Ristich as well. So there'll probably be more talk about ThoughtCon and some of the other things uh, that we're going to be talking about today in that realm. Um, but the way that we I, I, we like there's more than one me. Uh, <laughs> the way that I usually kick this off is by asking people, uh, what are you doing for yourself? And the reason I ask this, let me just preface this, is that a lot of the people who I interview, they they do a lot of things and they make a lot of things and they're in the community and they're involved for other people. But they, 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 they have a hard time finding time to do something personal, like a personal kind of project or something for themselves. So, so the first question I like to ask is, what are you making right now or doing that's just for you? Wow, I love that question because it's one, it's very loaded, but <laughs> it's, I'll say if you are a hacker, because I just love that term because it can mean so many things, um, that my hobby is my job and it's also the things I do for myself. So I kind of like, it's the way to say that I'm selfish by building toys for my son, <laughs> which is always a fun thing. I use like, Arduinos to build random things. And he's like, oh, this is the coolest thing. But <laughs> um, let's see. If I was going to say the thing that I'm building for myself right now is uh, it's actually for my work, but it is a person. It's because I made my job into my personal hobby. Uh, but w- I'm making a trilateration drone that will fly around and figure out where devices are physically located so for example um the drone that i have has several different radio um antennas on it that will capture specific frequencies and then it does specific loops that i've been working on to be able to figure out where devices are located what is the what no, <laughs> ten <laughs> branching questions off of the answer now. Sure. Why? Why am I trying to find the physical location of devices using a quadcopter? What's like? What's the benefit of using it? Talk to me like I'm an idiot because I am. And sure. You know what am I using a quadcopter for? One, and then what kind of devices am I locating? Number two, and what's the to to what end? Okay. Um. Well, just let me let me start with the beginning just because I, I know that my the way that I even started my my company and all this stuff and I know that I'm not trying to like promote my stuff at all because it's not really I don't people 
don't need it. But um, I've always been fascinated by like cyber to physical connections, where devices that exist in the cyber world are physically located. So with that evolution, I basically have been finding IoT devices. And I just thought it would be so cool to figure out, hey, uh, we're looking for something that has whether it's like a radio signal or whatever it may be i need to find it because i think of all of the different there's infinite possibilities and needs but let's just say that you lost a hiker or something in the forest and all they have is like their cell phone on right which you can trilaterate people with cell phones however if they don't have a connection to a tower you really can't do that but if i was able to dispatch like said devices you could basically find somebody really quickly and in what rate but you could do it for a lot of different things like if you were trying to map out what's the dead zones of uh like a area like why why are these signals getting dropped or whatever it is i just i find that to be so fascinating because there was such a need for it for a lot of people and i don't know it's just kind of very interesting to me yeah so there are like a, there are there are a couple other insertion points here and other things that I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. Uh, amateur radio and ham radio, ThoughtCon, uh, what you're doing at your company. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe we, let's start with with amateur radio. I think a lot of the people yeah. who are are listening are probably very interested in in amateur radio. I've heard about it. Um, you uh, you know at at, at ThoughtCon, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. You guys uh, introduced a test where people can go get their their light their amateur radio license um, at the event. So mm-hmm. you're an amateur radio op- operator. Uh, you're talking about you know trilateral, uh, you know uh, p- locating people based on different radio frequencies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What is it about amateur radio and tinkerers and hackers? What's the what's the appeal for for you? What do you think the appeal appeal is for other people? Why wh- where does that interest come from? That's a that's a great question. So my call sign, by the way, is uh, K4RUK, Kilo 4 Romeo Uniform Kilo. Uh, and I got my amateur radio license, oof, let's see, what, like five, four, four years ago now? And basically it was, one, I'm definitely into preparing for worst case situations. I mean, that's the Marine in me. But... Um, I also like to hike and things like that. So I always want to be able to use a radio and be able to do whatever I want with it. But um, once you, if you're ever, you have to have a license in order to transmit. So I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's look into this. Let's see what it takes. And then uh, once I started learning a bit about like what that was, uh, just the, the license that taking the test is really easy, by the way, I really encourage everybody to take it just because ham is so connected to everything in the maker world because radio signals to do everything, literally everything. Um, Everything has to talk if you want it to be useful. Now, with that being said, um, I, I started learning as I was preparing. I'm like, oh man, I could talk to satellites. Oh, I could do this. I could do that. Like the ideas just start becoming endless and it just spurred my interest in the hobby. Uh, and it, it, it meshes so well with the, the hacker maker mindset to have a ham radio license because you, it, it forces you to kind of learn a couple of very basic things that you're supposed to know anyway. But even still, it's um, it 
it allows you to expand your mind to say, oh, I, I need to learn this part of it, and then I can go off and build this thing. What You've mentioned a couple times uh, the hacker-maker mentality, mm-hmm. and you also said uh, you learn when you get the license basic things you're supposed to learn anyway. Yes. So my question would be, what is what do you what is at the heart of the hacker maker mentality? Do you think? And what are the things you know? Follow up question: What are the things mm-hmm. that you're supposed to learn anyway when you're learning when you're getting your amateur radio license? Sure. So, well, first off, everybody wants to be safe, and safety is always a priority, even though they call it safety third. Um, that the premise behind uh, some of the things that you're doing when you're studying for the exam is you don't want to use, for example, 100 watts, because 100 watts will could be dangerous. So it's teaching you some of those basic things. Uh, but it teaches you ohms, it teaches you uh, just currents, all the different things that you're going to need for if you're going to do anything uh, when it comes to circuits. But it teaches you also how to even build antennas to do like the basic theory behind it, like how, what the length is supposed to be, which would give you the best ability to, if like if you're going to build a LoRa device and you're needing it to go far, you're like, oh, well, I can't just slap on any antenna. It's just not, it doesn't work that way. So it teaches you some very basic fundamentals. Um, but Additionally, it uh, it gives you a lot more insights into uh, just how to think through building anything. Because um, I I'm big fan of electronics, of course, and that's that's my maker hobby. Even though I do a lot more construction with woods and stuff, and I can go into that because I build chicken coops. But uh, the as I was going through the building of my circuit boards, I'm like, oh, okay, I can see that I need to pay attention to these three things. And I know, I guess you could call it a loose connection, but that, that ham baseline, having those fundamentals was very critical and core to all of it. So it just, it just really meshes well with the whole mindset. Kind of like if you want to be a really good chef, you probably should know how the ingredient, where the ingredients come from are made and things like that. Okay, so if I'm understanding, part of the the maker mentality or the hacker mentality is understanding some of these more fundamental things about how what like the the the, te- the world of technology functions. Yes. Or okay, absolutely interesting. Okay, I'm gonna put a pin in that because I want to talk a little bit about homesteading and things like that later. But we talked sure. about BotCon, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I think we got to dig into that now. <laughs> and, and, and so, you, you know, you run your own company, you, you've also, um, you, you also organize and co-created this, uh, this uh, event that happens every year in Chicago. It's a huge hacker event, almost it's, it's edging up close to 2000 people show up every year. Um, and, you know, you know, I've full disclosure been involved with uh, some of the, like the badge things with a, a really cool team of people. Uh, which is the you know the badges that people wear for electronics um, at the event, but um, anyways, it, it, I want to. So what's what is ThoughtCon? I think first for the people who have not heard about it, what is what is this event that you you co-created and help run every year? Sure. Well, thank you for all your hard work on the badges. It's really really awesome. Uh, so ThoughtCon stands for three one two con. That was the original idea. Um, obviously words and lingo change over time so we'll leave right. it at that but um 
the original foundation for it was to give back because uh, the other founders and I, uh, it was it was Nick, Jaku, and Zach. We all when we wanted to originally start a company, but we figured out the best foot forward was to start a conference because we're getting all of the like-minded people together just to be able to express themselves. So whether that's learning new things like the ham radio thing or tinkering with badges, being able to listen to presentations or give presentations for that matter on things that you're hyper interested. It was, it was about expanding your mind, hence thought, you know, like use your mind. Uh, So we've had so many variety of talks, not just a, an infosec conference that are only talking about cybersecurity vulnerability things, but we've had even kids speak. I think one uh, one kid was I think it was thirteen or fourteen. He was speaking one year. Um, we've had people build and talk about things, even talk about hacking foods. It's just a wide variety. But the idea behind it was just to get everybody together because that's when everybody can share a lot of their common interests. And it really, um, it gets everybody really motivated. And that's kind of our form of giving back, trying to keep it going, building upon it. Yeah. I think what's interesting to me about ThoughtCon is that... uh, um... On the face of it, if you were to look at, if you're somebody looking in from the outside, like a fishbowl, and mm-hmm. you see this hacking event or this hacker event, I think most people's minds go to technology and, you know, uh, everything that we've been talking about so far. But then, you know, you've got a hardware hacking village where there are people who are learning to pick locks. And you just mentioned, you know, a conference talk where, uh, where, where you talk about hacking food, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's much, it's, it's more than technology. What kind of, what kind of, people uh what is what is the what is at the the heart of like a, a person who comes to thoughtcon what are they really who are, who are you appealing to who do you, who do you think comes to this and why do they why do they arrive there you would be very surprised at the um, types of people that come um it's it's really to spur curiosity i find that to be one of the most important things um a lot of I guess you can say in like the hacker space, uh, refer to the the mentors, um, the hacker manifesto, which says my crime is that of curiosity. And so the people that will attend are really curious individuals that are not just there to network, but to experience anything that they can that will help them, that they want to know about, that they wanted to grow in. Like, for example, the lockpicks. Uh, some people just really have never done that and they want to learn about it. Or they were like lower villages, like learning about radio waves and things like that. Or uh, doing puzzles or CTFs, capture the flags, like uh, playing with the badge and tinkering with it or taking things apart. Um, or just even doing uh, art. Art is a, a really big thing. Like We have a, a 3D art like uh, the head of our the logo of our conference people do projections on and people are there to even learn about that there's so many things that it can be that can come out of it and the variety of people that attend like i even have my uncle who and my cousin they're both dentists that attend and they find it fascinating we have teachers that attend that want to be able to bring to learn so they can introduce their students to emerging technologies um I've like the variety of people. I, I can't even begin. I, I believe there was like, uh, 
like cops come because they they are just like this is so cool i never thought about that uh, i just the variety is so big and and we actually limit the conference to 2000 people on purpose because once you go beyond that it kind of gets uh you have to change your venue up too much and it gets really hard but we want to keep it so the people that are coming are they're the ones that are local we, we're trying to give back to chicago that's the most important part that's why it stays in chicago only but we want to spur anybody that's in the area just to say hey this is what it is whether you're a student uh or an 86 year old like knitter like i've had like there's people that come and show how to knit even though that's something like basic making but they're like well let's put codes in our shirts and that actually turns into businesses like people have done that it's pretty fun so you mentioned a couple of things here, and I kind of want to pull out a pin that I put in earlier about the, the hacker maker mentality, because we we're talking about the, te- the, the mentality being, um, you know, you're interested in, in how the fundamentals of technology work. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it's so much more than that. And technology might be related to some of these things or it might mm-hmm. not. One example I give is that um, at the, the maker spaces that I run at DePaul, one of the things that we, we talk about is adjacencies. And so we have... Um, sewing machines and embroidery machines, and you have a group of people who are interested in 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 uh, making costumes for cosplay or yeah. repairing their own clothing. But if you put those things, I should say not but, but and and if you put those things adjacent to other things, whether it's uh, embedded, you know, embedded systems so they can work with Arduino, and then they can learn that there's conductive threads that they can put inside of their Um, building like you're talking about Mm -hmm. uh, or you put it next to uh, a laser cutter and then they learn that they can do etching for their own jewelry or something like that Mm -hmm. these adjacencies build these connections that between the things and and so when you're talking about curiosity it seems to me like there's something more fundamental than just technology and there's something more fundamental uh than hacking if you will that that Mm -hmm. kind of you are, are are itching at from different you know perspectives and thought con is sounds like you know one example of that where it is hacking and technology yes but also it's like all of these other things too so what is it i've heard you described and i have this in my notes here too so i wanted to bring it up um uh, you know rudy when before i met you rudy uh, rudy ristich a mutual friend of ours described you as like an incredibly curious individual like the most curious person he's ever met and you, you mentioned curiosity so many times when you're talking about thoughtcon so what is at the heart of like why it's not just understanding the fundamentals of technology. It's understanding the mm-hmm. fundamentals of something else. What is at the heart of that, of that curiosity? Why, why do I need to care about an antenna size or care how to uh, knit uh, whatever or hack my food? What, what is at the, 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 you know, the center of that? The core of why <laughs> does my heart beat the way that it does? <laughs> um, let's see. It, I, I guess you could say it's, it's, um, one, it's being lazy. I know that sounds really funny, but that's why I make things. You do it right once, but um, but additionally, it's new experiences has always been very fascinating to me. Just to learn how the world goes round. Um, so, I guess the best way to describe that with is kind of go adjacent to just the the hack. Uh, the hacking side, which uh, is is my homesteading piece, which is I grow chickens 
or I raise chickens rather, and I grow uh, a really big garden, grow wheat, grow random foods because I want to learn the whole process to see if I can make it more efficient and learn how everything works. Just because the whole learning process, it's that to me. I, I don't know why, I don't know how to tie that together to say that's where my curiosity comes from, but I love learning things because it spurs not only dialogue, but it's, it's, uh, gosh, I, I've never stopped learning. And that's why I just, that's just something that motivates me. It's yeah. something I really enjoy. I wake up in the morning going, what, I wonder what I'm going to learn today. Well, let me ask you a follow-up question then, and maybe this goes somewhere uh, it, it, as well, like to, to extend this even further mm -hmm. is you, you so you, um, and this is a perfect time to talk about homesteading. So you're, sure. you're growing your own food, you're raising your own animals. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is something like, you know, my, we just got my kids involved in 4-H club and that's, mm -hmm. you know, to me also very, um, very important for them to understand where, where things come from. Mm -hmm. um, but do you ever find when you're doing these different kinds of work in different disciplines, whether it's, you know, farming and, and animal husbandry or whether it's, um, uh, uh, amateur radio or whether it's cybersecurity or anything in between, do, do you find that those, those different disciplines inform each other? Does mm -hmm. it, is, is, I mean, I can't think of a good example where you'd be like, um, yeah, I'm raising a chicken and that is directly related to triangulating where somebody has <laughs> in the forest. But like, how do you, how do you, <laughs> how do you find those things informing each other if they do at all? Well, everything's adjacent. Yeah. Um, I liken it to, so the more you, the more you start learning, the less you realize, you know, kind of like you're walking into an open field and you're like, whoa, this is big. It's because you always start in the corner. And, uh, <laughs> for me, like it all ties together because, uh, like for ex a good example is let's use the chickens. Do you know how many like amazing analogies come from chickens? <laughs> There's like hundreds, hundreds of them. Like don't put your eggs, all your eggs in one basket. Like just like you can go through a ton of them, you know, like the, yeah. uh, fox in the hen house. Um, but I use a lot of my tech with just even that alone like i have automated my chicken coop the door will go up when the sun rise and then goes down when the sun sets um i actually had to adjust the time because some chickens are well the ducks are slow they just like to stay up past their bedtime <laughs> but like i have it alert me on temperature the fan turns on when it's too hot it feeds them like there's a lot of different pieces to it and Surprisingly, you can do a lot of it with Arduinos, but I have a little Raspberry Pi in there, and it's super lightweight. And um, something I really wanted to do was put little NFC rings around them, see where the chickens are, what their normal habits are, to see if they like stick in certain spots. Because then you could say, oh, what are they normally eating? Is this the most nutrient-dense thing or something like that? And that's, so it's, that's why it's kind of like all adjacent. Everything yeah. is applicable over time. So, interesting. Do you ever find? Um, I don't know if you follow uh, Nassim Talib. Uh, he's a statistician. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I'm probably doing him no justice. He he wrote Black Swan, uh, and Ooh. you know he, he's 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 the the person who invented these this concept of Black Swan events. And um, one of one of the concepts that he 
talks about or teaches that I, I really enjoy is this idea of um, not only being able to see patterns, but when you begin to recognize patterns, you begin to recognize where patterns are false flags, where, the, yes. where patterns don't exist as well. And I imagine that that's something that's incredibly useful for, for some of the work that you do too, which mm -hmm. is uh, being able to see through, through things that seem like they're connected, but they aren't because we've been talking about adjacencies a lot, but uh -huh. also like is some of this, this work with adjacencies, um, helpful for understanding when patterns are a distraction, particularly in, in some of the work that you do, or I don't know, in anything else. That is a really fantastic question. And I am, uh, I could go really deep on a lot of those things. Um, so humans by far are the well they're actually the only creature that really looks for patterns the way that we do and we observe them all the time and we that's our goal that's like a human personality trait and that's actually what kicked me into cybersecurity was looking at uh, packets uh, network packets so you're looking through all this data looking for patterns that's an anomaly because the only way to find something that's bad is you have to know what's good first you have to have your foundation if you don't have a foundation you really anything could be a pattern and it will mess with all of your studies right i mean that actually affects the scientific world very greatly that's why a lot of people can't reproduce a lot of results sometimes because they didn't take out the good and to predict the the bad um but in in the sense of going back to like the homesteading chicken thing, like if a lot of people try to focus on patterns by baselining things um, with their own controls, such as we're going to use this kind of soil because it's the best kind of soil. And you're like, well, for me, I look at it, I'm like, well, why did, why are you doing that when you just were told that? Why don't you go back to like what it was like in nature and like see, watch it, observe in the best way it is that's why uh in in gardening they we call it volunteers like seeds that just plant like get planted wherever they are and and they grow and sometimes they often are the best plants ever because they're in an environment that they wanted to grow in as opposed to the one that you set up for them like that's why i have uh tomato plants all around my garden because chickens basically ate the tomatoes and pooped them everywhere <laughs> but those are the tomatoes grow like crazy but <clears throat> It's, it's the, in, in, in light of what you brought up, which is the, the, the anti-patterns is I'm, I'm going back to the, I want to observe all the things that I, I can't, I can't say I know everything about like growing gardening. I mean, they, they, people have been trying to figure this out for millennia, right? I mean, yeah. we know basics of farming because we can say hey let's make this area for this that and the other but then we also have like the dust bowl because people thought they could do things i'm trying to look at it in a way that how do i do in i'm going to call it like sustainability which yeah. is the world is this way so i'm trying to take out the anti-patterns by saying let's see the nature and then let's see where we screwed up right and one of the and that's actually even a big thing with the food is when you think of like your eggs where if you go to the grocery store and you get your eggs and you like to people like to pay as cheap uh, as possible for their eggs you know whatever it's like a two bucks a carton now which is really expensive but um you go and open up the yolk you will also notice that the eggs are very light like they're they're not even like a yellow sometimes they're just very faint um those are less the chickens that 
made those eggs are really like they don't have a lot of protein there's a lot of different things that like the egg quality is just not nearly as good you can go to like a farmer's market pay just a little bit more get those eggs and you can see how bright orange the center is now why does that matter and fascinate me is because if you're eating really nutrient sense food you eat less food because your body's like, this was good. This is exactly mm. the way I wanted it to be, as opposed to like eating just French fries because your body just is like, I need more because it's looking for the nutrients. So those things all tie into it because of mm. what what you're going to. It's like looking for patterns and then also going, oh, this actually was a bad pattern that we somehow created into, it's an right. anti-pattern, the anti-patterns. Yeah. You know, I was talking with um, another friend of mine who teaches down at, at Texas Tech. He, um, I met him when he, he used to teach at DePaul in game design. And um, I'm writing this, I'm writing this paper right now about um, uh, choice architecture and nudge, which are these. I, I you know, I, I personally find them to be distasteful kind of approaches to um, uh, manipulating people into getting to do, getting them to do things yeah. that we claim are healthy for them or better for mm -hmm. them or, or whatever else. But the, the core of that is, is this idea that we create these complex systems around us. And then people don't understand how the people live in those systems and they don't mm -hmm. understand how they were created or why they exist. Yeah. And it begins to foster this kind of, and this is just conjecture on my part, but it begins to foster this kind of uh, incurious nature where we don't mm -hmm. want to be challenged with new data or new information. And anyways, Bobby was telling, you know, he, he brought up the same thing, which is kind of we're micromanaging people into mm -hmm. incuriosity or this inability or or lack of desire to ask questions sure. such that we're getting back to book banning and restricting language and you know I don't all of these other things that I don't want to mm -hmm. get political about but I don't think it's political to say that that these things are happening and mm -hmm. and I wonder what what is it that um so getting back to like why why we're driven by this curiosity, why you're driven to understand these systems and these complexities, what is it that we we can do as as people who maybe don't like to be challenged by you know uh, different things or by things mm -hmm. that challenge our, our, our beliefs? How do we get into how do we get into something um, and 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 get started? Like your ham radio tests at ThoughtCon mm -hmm. or, or anything else? How do how do we how do we begin to get that exposure so that we're, we get back to a point where we can ask questions and be curious. Sure. So you said something pretty interesting to me, which is uh, just that we're putting people in the situations that they're in now, and it's causing a lot of problems. I mean, is book banning anything new now? No, it's been around for a long time. Hell, there was book burnings. Uh, I, I will go absolutely as far to say that nothing is new under the sun. I mm -hmm. love that statement because human traits now are no different today than they were ever in humanity because mm -hmm. there will always be people that they primarily around the world everybody wants to live, laugh, love, that's like that's it. Mm -hmm. They also want uh we also have the same opposites which is like will there will still be thievery, there will still be greed and power struggle stuff like that. Right. The Major change, though, was technology, which speeds everything up. So that's why to everything over time is getting faster, faster, faster. It's not like social media is technically new. It's always been core to human traits. The difference is 
people have not adapted to it because technology opened up a different door. So you still have the same things of social dilemmas, et cetera. Now, and power, power can get greater because there's more technology to speed things up. So with all of that being said, just because I that leads into how do you get people to do things that whether or not they don't or want to do, how do you get people to be curious? Um, right. So I, not that I'm encouraging people to be parents, but I always encourage people to mentor others. That mm. is that is a very important thing because that's probably the reason why I do a lot of things is I like to see people uh, open their eyes to things that they haven't seen. And then that blows their minds, especially children, whatever you're talking to, whatever age uh, they, they, they soak it in. You can explain like, this is how the grass grows. They're just mind blown. Even if they don't understand all of it, they're just, they're fascinated by it because they're, they're absorbing everything. It's, it's kind of post that I'm trying to think like, what's the right time. Uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't put, put pins in it because it's different for everybody, but some people learn, uh, they, they just stop that curiosity because like their own like environment slows them down or prevents them from wanting to be curious, but that doesn't mean there's no hope for them, but that's why I encourage that mentorship. But, um, how do you, you have to get, find people that are interested in one small thing. Sometimes, like the cooking part of it, or you could talk to them about a lot of different things. Maybe it's brewing beer. And then they just, sometimes you give it to them, they take it and they run with it. Not everybody has every single talent of a lot of things. They might have one and that's all that it is. I mean, that's why we have masters of domains. Like look at like Mozart. I mean, he was amazing at what he did, right? right. He just had instruments like i i wouldn't go and expect him to know how to cook though (laughs) like maybe he did but i'm just throwing it out there that some people are really good masters and that actually is what causes some people that are curious to kind of not feel good and gives you uh imposter syndrome um i think that's probably a lot of hindrance to people as they feel that but some people can kind of do that i i like i don't want to call it jack of all traits because some people can go beyond that jack of all traits is kind of like that negative term because you're a master of none but you could kind of reduce that and have a couple of things that you really enjoy and then just grow from there and say, these are the three or four things that I'm really good at. Let's just keep going. And everybody has a hobby. I mean, there I don't know anybody that doesn't. And to those that uh, have, say they don't really know what those hobbies are, TV can be a hobby, football, whatever it is, I mean... I personally, I gave up television and I gave up, I don't really even watch sports. So that's where I fill up all my time with all my own hobbies, but everybody has something. And if you're trying to motivate somebody that really is the the quiet one in the class, you could figure that out. You just have to talk to them and say, Hey, what is it? Could be anime. It could be Legos. There's so many things. And once you hook that, then that curiosity starts growing. It's 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 not even like a rubber band. It's like a rocket ship. Yeah. It's always starts slow, and then once it picks up, it's it just goes to oblivion. Yeah, there's there's this concept um, <clears throat> called the zone of proximal development. It's Vygotsky's mm-hmm. zone of proximal development, and it's roughly if you were to visualize it, it's three circles each one inside of each other, kind of like a a Russian nesting doll. 
and uh -huh. the inside circle, the innermost circle rather, is is um, your your zone of comfort, where the places where you have um, complete control over what's happening, you're comfortable uh -huh. being there. The the next one outside of that is the places you can go if you have some assistance, if yes. if somebody's uh, can can help take you there. And then outside of that circle is like, you know, the, the area of impossibility. You could get there, but you have to go through, you have to grow into that space first. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like visualizing it like that because it's nonlinear, meaning mm -hmm. from that in, inner circle, you can move outward in any direction right. into something that you're interested in. And I, I think of them as insertion points. So mm -hmm. taking something that you're interested in and using that as an insertion point to get you into, into, into something else. So yeah. it seems to me like an insertion point, and I could be wrong. For for you is is uh, technology and 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 hacking, and um, I'm looking at this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm looking at this server farm behind you as well. <laughs> and uh, and you you run your own company <clears throat> called Maddox LLC. How do you like that for a transition, by the way? So what I want to <laughs> segue. What, <laughs> But I want to. I want to. First of all, tell everybody what it is that that your company does. How long have you been running it? What's the what's the what's the elevator pitch, if you will? You didn't even let me answer your previous question of the outward. <laughs> yeah. So you you your comfort zone is absolutely like one of the biggest struggles for a lot of people because they're so happy staying inside of that bubble. Um, and this what you alluded to with all of that is exactly what I was trying to uh, to state, which is if you want people to break out of their comfort zone, they they don't know always they always don't know how. And the only way for you to do that is kind of if you hold their hand, but you have to let them know that they're not alone in it and then slowly teach them to go beyond that comfort zone. It could be whether it's uh, as a child originally, it's like, you don't leave your house or leave your home area, but then you're like, I could go down the street, but it takes time to build up to that. It's that's that breakthrough. And sometimes you have to teach them. Not everybody's naturally curious because they're very inward. I mean, meaning like they just never had that ability to experiment and know that they're going to be okay. Right. But that, that actually now segues my motion into why I started Maddox even. Yeah. Um, last October, um, I left my company, uh, previous company, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? I've been tired of working for really big organizations for years. I, I, I mean, I kind of become old and crotchety that way, <laughs> which yeah. is like um, that a lot of places just don't want to listen to you or listen to your ideas. But uh, I finally grew up enough courage and uh, after talking with my wife about it, I said, you know what, I, I, one, I need to take two weeks just to figure out what I want to do. And then she said, absolutely, we can do that. There's no problem there. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. And she's like, why don't you? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, there's a lot of risk. We went through a lot of the, we weighed a lot of it. And yes, it was definitely a big risk. I mean, not everybody has time or money to do those things. And I'll say that I had, well, at the time I had unlimited because I basically didn't have a job, but I um, had just enough money that would have lasted me uh, 
three three to six months. And yeah. so once so I'm like, okay, at least I have kind of a pre-conceived idea. And that was I wanted to map the entire internet because uh, being in Threat Intel um, since for what a past decade, um, I always was looking for really quality data sets. And the only really quality data sets were those that provided context. And I've looked at, say, Shodan. I've looked at all these different other types of feeds. And I said, you know what? I think I could do better. And that was where I started. And what I ended up doing is I competed in this uh, Air Force uh, Research Laboratory competition and to, to tied for first place off of a product bit that I started with not that much time. And the, uh, the premise of the competition was identify where IoT devices were located. So little, there was not much information other than that for the competition. But as soon as it started, I, I'm like, well, I can scan the internet. I could do all these different things in that area. So I, I did that. I already had that data because that's what I started doing. And once I started the competition, they were like, oh, well, we need you to do it within this 50 feet. I'm like, okay, well, I, I ended up learning a lot more about SDRs and uh, finding IoT devices. Like, did you know there's IoT paper towel dispensers? Like, who who knew? <laughs> there's IoT everything now. Huh. I know, it's <laughs> mind-blowing. Um, and what I came up with at, during the competition, I'm like, you know what? Why don't I identify uh, where they're physically located? So I ended up finding the access server that they had using my, uh, my tool, which I called Sovereign, by the way. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Nice. Um, and so I found out where they're physically located, which was up in Albany, in the headquarters and exactly where the, comp the laptop that I had access to was. And then I gave them within five miles of their headquarters all the IoT devices I could find, from web cameras to electric scooters to Bitcoin ATMs, anything that I could just find right there, you know, even buses, like mobile buses. And they were mind blown. They're like, how, how is this? Well, they're like, well, first, how could this be leveraged? I said, well, I know this sounds a little creepy, but I saw you drive up at seven o'clock to your office or the building this morning and you were driving your green Camry. And uh, if you go look out the Southwest window, you have a electric scooter and this is the unique user ID. They were, their jaws just dropped. They're like, okay, well, let's just say you won this competition. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty awesome. Um, and I mean, it was above and beyond what they expected because they, what they really wanted was stuff that was local. But so that actually gave me then enough of a motivation to say, you know, what, I think I have an idea that's pretty baked. Let me just keep going. So I had to really step out of my comfort zone because I'm, I had to obviously build a product and then also look for customers, which is, I'll, thank goodness I have a lot of really good friends that are really like, like, they are all helping me with networking and different pieces of things that I just didn't know of. But yeah. like they even introduced me to the Cibber program, which I really recommend you look into if sure. you haven't. SBIR, it's Small Business Innovation oh, and yeah. Research. Yeah. Oh, very few people know a lot about things like this, yeah. but they give you basically grants without having to raise money. And you could get like fifty dollars to $100,000 just to hash out an idea for six months. It's really fantastic. And this is great for college kids too. But they give you basically like, here's the problem that we don't know about. Solve it. 
So that's kind of where I went and grew. But from then, I uh, I just kept working on my product, and uh, here we are now. Just it it it's fascinating to see that the it just kept going and kept going and i finally was able to get a, a couple customers and they were like this is really cool changed everything it's kind of like that i don't want to call it a relief more than like that first success that win is um it it just really causes you to just be mo- like excited and motivated it refreshes you it renews you hmm. so a couple things that you mentioned kind of <clears throat> So, so you mapped the entire internet you mentioned, and it, it seems to me that this is in, in some way related to our earlier, um, when we were discussing uh, understanding how uh, uh, plants grow mm-hmm. in their own environment and kind of getting the entire lay of the land about how things are supposed to work in the environment. And then there, mm-hmm. you're, you're again talking about getting the entire lay of the land, but you're talking about that with uh, ag- with, not with agriculture, but but mm-hmm. with you know inf- information security, mm-hmm. and, and so there's is, uh, maybe I should stop now because I don't know if there's a jumping off point here for you, but it seems like getting the lay of the land and understanding how things work is is important at this macro at this macro scale. Oh yeah, and then absolutely, and uh, okay, so and then it's not just getting uh, understanding how things work at that macro scale, but you mentioned the satisfaction of um, of getting that first customer, mm-hmm. which, which for me in some way, it seems to be related to the same idea of the satisfa- satisfaction of, you know, growing your own food and being able to cultivate it for the first time or, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there's some like output to this that you're looking for as well. Yeah. And I guess that's the, that's, that's the question I'm kind of trying to meander towards in some way mm-hmm. is it's not just understanding then it's also having some effect and some measurable effect that you're able to identify. How do you know when you've gotten, when you've gotten that, you know, because you might not even know you're working towards it, but then once you get it, you're like, Oh yeah, I've, I finally arrived at the thing I wanted to do. It's like the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, so what's, how how do you, how do you get there? How do you, how do you know when you've arrived at that? Well, I think you would immediately know when you've arrived there because you would be so excited that you've cracked the code or whatever it may be. Um, It's the very first time you do anything that you've never done before is very rewarding. When the first time you pick your first lock by yourself is amazing. It's kind of like that transition from when you're a child to knowing you're an adult that you did something. It's I'm going to say that it's um, it's artificial when it's graduating because it just doesn't feel real at that moment like oh i graduated college or high school or whatever it is but uh it's it's when you are left to your own devices and you are able to succeed uh, it bypasses all of the burnout that you've ever had it's like uh, if you go on a date for the first time that feeling of excitement and uh revitalization just you're just like oh I've, i want to make sure everything is it's that motivation like you're just on cloud nine um but like when i was mapping out the internet like th- it was it was very uphill very difficult to even start doing some of those things um but i had to take it like uh one of my favorite sayings is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time it's very hard but you know what 
the funny thing is you also don't know along that process what's also good enough because to you it's one thing like you might think that you need to conquer the world you know like elon musk wants to go to mars whether or not he gets there i don't know but he's done some really amazing things in the process that very few people could have ever done from launching satellites to reusable rockets to vehicles and batteries like all these things right well as you're going through your journey it's going to evolve and change absolutely i mean mine did everybody's does but it doesn't mean that uh along that way that somebody doesn't find interest and that's actually what was very fascinating about what i was doing is i had this really big goal i said it i mean it was really big right i mean i still am not done with it mapping out the internet but the uh there were derivative works within there that of what as i was doing that that people were really interested in buying i'm like oh my gosh this is this was good enough for somebody that and that's all I had to do. So that became one product. And then I kept going with what I'm doing because I know what I'm looking for. But there's a this was this was enough. Like you have to be perfection is the enemy of good enough. Always is and always will be. And I think a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit because that's why prototypes turn into some products. And that's also why people complain after there's a good product. Everybody will complain. I mean, even about movies, like there's no perfect movie out there. Well, there might be a couple of perfect movies. Princess Bride's one of them. But anyway, um, but we, you, you have this, uh, a lot of people struggle in those spots. But if you can say, you know what, if you have that sense of, uh, if you have enough outward, what's, I'm, I can't think of the word right now, but it's affirmation, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Affirmation comes when you have your first customer because yeah. you know you've made it that, that is like a you've made it moment because you've done yeah. it yourself that's yeah. you just know it's not like you somebody has to be looking for it you know like right. if that makes sense it's it just yeah. it, when it happens it's boom it's excitement and maybe yeah. it's the end of a conference yeah that's that's one that happens to me every thought con i'm like right. after it's over i'm like woohoo another one's done let's right. start next year oh yeah man. But you're like, I want to do better. So things like that. No, that resonates a lot. You know, um, customers are, are, I think, one example of um, the the real world and something outside of the outside of your own mind challenging uh, your assumptions. I think the perfect is what exists in your mind. And then the good is what exists outside of your mind. I talk to my students a lot about how. You know, when you cut wood, it wants to be cut along a specific grain. Mm-hmm. And you might have an idea that you've sketched up in your, brain, in your brain or on paper of what you want some object to look like. But then when you begin to work with the material, whether it's wood or metals or customers, they tell you that they want to do something else. And that's when that perfection mm-hmm. becomes something different. It becomes an engagement with the world rather than, you know, a projection of what you, how you want things to be. Yes. And so that's that's really interesting, and I'm I, I'm I'm also reminded of, um, you know, you do a lot of work with with puzzles, mm-hmm. and I think puzzles are another kind of and puzzles. And you mentioned um, capture the flags and things like that earlier mm-hmm. too. And it seems to me like puzzles are. It doesn't matter like what way you want to organize things. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're playing with a puzzle, or you're or if you're a participant in in the capture the flag 
what matters is not how you want things to be necessarily, but like how, you know, the obstacles that you have to get through um, to, to get to this end point. And I, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I don't know if this is making sense, but, you know, I, I'm wondering what you're interested is, is, is with these things because it, it's, it seems so central to this idea, these ideas of curiosity and engagement with the world and understanding things and puzzles to me seem like a way for you to put something out there. And it's almost like a way to get people to understand you a little bit, you know, whether it's your, uh-huh. your toaster um, that I'm reminded of uh, or, or, or anything else. So like, what, what are you thinking about when you're, when you're developing these puzzles? I, I love this question. Uh, bu- puzzles are bite-sized affirmation and serotonin injections. Think of if you think about it, because you can now little by little solve little steps that you basically cracked a code and everybody gets excited. It's yeah. a form of uh, like the Socratic method even because you have to figure it out yeah. by yourself, uh, even with hints along the way, which is okay. But um, it also is me giving back because I firmly believe that uh, I'm going to call it, say students because I believe everybody's a student, but anybody that's doing a puzzle in a way is learning. So hence you're a student. But once you are learning this, once you solve that, you will never forget how, like, what you did. You're just like, oh my gosh, that's your stepping stone for going further. And every bite-sized thing you do causes you to have to learn more. And I'll, and I'll say this is me being selfish, that as a teacher, I have to learn the most because teachers have to know a, a lot of things. And yeah. st- students will end up teaching you about things too, which is kind of cool. But you have to also kind of like s- struggle with your words so you don't give away the answer. But but you can kind of lump a lot of funny things when it comes to whether it's a foundational step, it's a historical thing that you have to learn about. Like... Uh, when I do even like ciphers, you can learn stuff about the past. Like there's uh, numerous instances of like, why did encryption even come into play? And you have to learn the history of it. And I love teaching history through puzzles because it's fun. Or you kind of force them to learn another language or even think about um, like people that have a, a form of a disability or something like if you are blind i i've had a year where i had if you've dunes now in the theaters but if you've read the books or the watch the old movie there's there's the box of agony yeah. if you put your hand inside of there you're gonna feel pain i made the box of agony except it wasn't painful but what <laughs> i did but i still kind of went along the same theme which is i put braille inside of there so oh. no, and so you had to figure out how to read the message, and some people came up with really like innovative ways, which was one of them. They put a silly putty on top. That was cool, but they couldn't take a picture with a camera because it would have been too bright. It was really problematic. So they like either learn how to do braille, find somebody. It was really kind of fun, but that's it, it's you having to consider outside yourself, it, and that's that stepping outside your comfort zone is considering others requirements yeah or even like if you're colorblind too that's a big one um but it you brought up the toaster my drm toaster which uh cory doctorow even commented on which i thought was really amazing i didn't like he really really cool cool guy but he came over and we were talking about it and he's like well why did you do this i said well do you remember a few years ago there was uh the keurig 2.0 that came out and 
originally it was a cool concept of being able to have the capsule cups that you put your coffee in and it would make your coffee. The original concept behind it was the each lid had an NFC token in it that would say this is exactly the right temperature to brew said like coffee or make a soup, things like that. However, what ended up happening was in this way, corporate greed, they made it so that you could only use their own K cups. So then people had to figure out a way to get around that lock basically. And what they did is they've poked holes in uh, the lids and they like glued them on the top so that it would always read that. It was very fascinating how hackers got around it, but this is everyday people. They're not like, regular hackers anybody could be a hacker but that's really fascinating it's a loophole right making something do something it's not supposed to hence hacking um but what i did with the toaster was i made this toaster only toast a specific kind of bread and it was and i made it so that it was very hard to find it was in like the frozen food section and it was like all these different things so the the idea behind it was you have to short circuit that and that's what i wanted people to know so you one had to learn the history of it so i would either tell you the history of the keurig prompt principle or you'd end up learning about like why would anybody make a drm toaster same reason that that's it's never going to go away it's not like places don't do this anyway so it was it's that concept and then you start seeing it in everyday light life it's like the moment that you buy a specific object or you learn about something, you start seeing it everywhere in your life. You're like, wow, what are the what are the chances that I see like this, that, and the other like 10 times in a month? Well, it's always been there. You just never thought that it was there. It's kind of, you're blind to it. So that's the premise as it, and it reinforces your learning too, because then you net, you start remembering it. What is it? You have to say somebody's name three times to like memorize it. Sure. It's something like that, but yeah. you you solidify your knowledge every single time, and every puzzle you do kind of causes you that injection, and you learn it, and then you start seeing it over and over again, and you want to tell people about it, and it's just it's all of the things together, and that's why I give back in that form. This is like um, pretty much a perfect way to to you know we're running up against an hour, mm -hmm. and that's like I can't think of a better way to kind of wind it wind it sure. down. But I, before, before I close out, I like to ask folks if they're up to anything that they want to tell everybody about, or if there's a place that you want people to, you know, point to your Twitter or anything like that, that you want them, if they have questions or if they want to connect to you, where should they, where should people go? Uh, Twitter is obviously very easy for a lot of people. And that's yeah. just at Sakebom, S-A-K-E-B-O-M-B. Yeah. -E um, but if they want to reach out to you, you have all my information. Um, yeah. I'm also a sakebomb at thoughtcon.org if they would like there. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I pretty, I should be pretty easy to find, even though you don't believe I am. <laughs> you could look at <laughs> my name. Um, but I'm, I'm out in uh, Northern Virginia in yeah. case anybody is in the area. I'd love to, I like to see people's faces. It's always, it's always fun, but yeah, reach out. I'm, I love to talk as introverted as I am. It's not that I'm shy. It's just, I get my energy from reading books. Um, <laughs> I, I'm happy to meet with anybody. It's always fun. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for um, for speaking with us and appreciate appreciate you coming on. And thank you, Jay. That's right. great. And that wraps it up for session 27 of This Should Work, an interview with Jonathan Tomek. As always, you can find This Should Work on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening and until next time, bye-bye.